Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello and welcome to the EDH RecCast. My name is Joey Schultz and I'm joined, as always, by my fantastic co-hosts. Up first, shh, he's secretly a Phyrexian sleeper agent. It's Matt Morgan. So, Joey, it's it's a well-known fact. We like to tell dad jokes here, but nobody ever wonders, does he like to hear them too? <laughs> wow, that is meta. Brilliant. You've... You, I... <laughs> That's just brilliant. I, I I am wowed by a dad joke. I never thought I would be wowed by a dad joke, but I am. I mean, it, it's like you ask your dog, who's a good boy, but you never ask them, how's the good boy? Oh. It's it's, it's real deep. Mm-hmm. PSA, everyone out there, make sure that you're asking both of those. <laughs> In fact, you might even ask, why is a good boy? Anyway, we're getting sidetracked. Up next, shh, he's a sleeper agent, but not because he's Phyrexian. He's just actually still asleep. It's Dana Roach. <laughs> Um, what do a tick and the Eiffel Tower have in common? Do I want to know? They're both parasites. No, that's <laughs> no. I didn't want to know. <laughs> Sly, I like what you did there. That is Paris. Is a fan. Yeah. Oh, I, I got, I got it. I've heard that explaining. It, 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 it reminds <laughs> me of my favorite, uh, my favorite French sandal brand. Actually, it's a Philippe Flop. <laughs> We've got to move on. Anyway, this is the EDH Recast. EDH Rec is the best deck building resource on the web for the commander format, compiling data from deck lists all over the internet to provide helpful recommendations for new commander decks. And here on the podcast, what we'd like to do is give all of that data a little more context. So Matt, do you mind telling us what it is that we will be discussing in this week's episode? This week, we're going to talk about all the times that the sky was falling and talk about all the times that we had cards that were allegedly going to ruin commander. Mm Mm-hmm. Hmm. Allegedly. 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 (laughs) Yes. Yeah. This will be a fun one going through the the overreactions that we've seen sometimes regarding magic and commander and the health of the format when new, big, exciting cards come out and see what actually wound up happening with those cards, where they actually landed and what we think we can learn from those events in the community. I think it should be really interesting to dig into magic's past and magic's community's past a little bit here to see what we can find out. But before we get into our main topic, We've got a couple of quick shout outs to do. We'd like to thank Chase, also known as Manicurves, for their work editing the show. You can find them on Twitter at Manicurves. And you can support the show directly over at patreon.com slash EDHRecCast. We have patron tiers of all levels, whether you want to join the Discord community that we have going on, or you want to see all the historic challenger stats picks that we've had over the years, you can do all of that and more over at patreon.com slash EDHRecCast. And don't forget, we have that special tier where we give a shout out to a patron just for joining, just for supporting us, which we just appreciate them. So this week, Brady Burton, thank you so much for your support. We definitely appreciate it. And just, yeah, thank you for going over to patreon.com slash EDHRecCast. Brady Burton, thank you so, so much. It's just, I know that we say we appreciate it so much, but but we do. We like, we really do. So your support is so, so wonderful. It means the world to us. Thank you. All right, let's get into our main topic here, guys. Matt, I love the way you said it. The sky is falling. We're having like uh, the, the sky didn't fall and we're taking a quick look back on those moments where the sky didn't actually fall. But, you know, checking out those cards that might have, you know, ruined Commander or whatever. There was a lot of hype when uh, when those cards came out. Um, and, you know, Dana, let's uh, pass this right off to you. What are some sky is falling reactions that you remember throughout the uh, the past of Magic and stuff that you learned from it or any specific standouts? I don't no, take it away. I think the most recent one that pops to mind for me is one that I also uh, had a reaction to right away was Jeweled Lotus. Oh, <laughs> oh, we're starting with the big ones. Okay, let's, I mean, let's jump into it. Okay, um, <laughs> and, and the card sees a ton of play. It's in a hundred thousand decks, over a hundred thousand decks in EDH track, almost one hundred and ten. Mm. Uh, that's significant. And when I read it, I I did a wait what. Um, <laughs> 
it, it had to read it multiple times and then think about it and try to like understand how it was going to work. Um, cause man, that looks like a black Lotus <laughs> real, real quick. You're like, that's a, another black Lotus in the game. That's insane. Um, so yeah, I, I immediately had that knee jerk reaction too. within a day or two of thinking about it. I, I kind of realized I don't think it's necessarily that busted. It'll probably be okay. Um, but I mean, that's a, a good example of one that a lot of people freaked out on. And I absolutely was, was taken for a for at least a little bit about it and trying trying to figure out exactly how strong it was Mm -hmm. yeah that's a really good pick yeah i remember when this card was originally previewed and social media twitter especially exploded with outrage at this card (laughs) i swear that some people are going to quit the game or they were going to quit commander or whatever it was this definitely got probably the most memorable reaction from when it was originally previewed And like, there are pieces of it. Like, so honestly, I think that this is a genius design because it's, I don't know, it's just, it's, there's a a funny nature to it that it reads a lot better than it actually is. And it is still good. And there are ways that it might not be, I don't know, when this shows up in a Muldrotha deck, for example, that can consistently recur it so that it's constantly uh, removing mana attacks from Muldrotha in case Muldrotha gets removed. That is a thing that's like, uh, okay, yeah, that can be a teensy bit aggravating. But like for the most part, when I consider like, would I want a Jeweled Lotus in my deck? I'm like, no, because I'm not currently playing Dark Ritual in my decks. Well, the Dark Ritual comparison is actually kind of a, a, a good thing to line it up against. Dark Ritual is a crazy powerful card, but unless you are playing at a power level where you need to move at that speed, people generally aren't running it. I mean, I'm not running it in any of my decks currently, not because it's not powerful, because like that's not what my decks are trying to do. And to a degree, that's what the situation with Jeweled Lotus has become. It's obviously a strong card. I mean, it might not be Black Lotus, but it's quite good. But it's one of those things that by and large just shows up in decks where people are looking to move at that speed and that tends to be higher powered decks. So it kind of has weirdly enough self-segregated itself off to high powered decks for the most part. Mm. I think that's something that we do need to kind of say about a majority of these cards because all the cards that we're going to talk about, it's not that they're not powerful or because most of them are and Jewel Lotus especially, but I think folks realized that after that initial burst of mana, sometimes you need, you didn't really have a, okay, what's next type of follow-up because you're spending a whole card. And yes, mana is one of the most powerful resources in the format. Getting ahead is very powerful, no matter what the format is that you're playing for magic. But it, it, the, the biggest flaw that I saw a lot of people saying about the card was, well, you can recur it, you can loop it, like Joe, you mentioned with your Moldrotha example. But at the same time, you can recur a lot of different artifacts. Artifacts are known for kind of being a snowball-y type of deck. And so when you're talking about, oh, you can just loop these artifacts with Kark Clan Ironworks or whatever, like those decks have existed for a long, long time mm. before Jeweled Lotus ever came around. So Jeweled Lotus may be the poster child for those types of decks, but also it's not a new thing to have an artifact be abused because that's just kind of more of the status quo with artifact decks. <laughs> I really like that. Yeah, this did feel like it might be doing something new, but I think it is generally falling into a lot of the same patterns that the patterns, excuse me, a lot of the same patterns that we already knew were pretty busto. And honestly, in a world that has this many treasure tokens running around the format, I look at this one, this this uh, mana producer, and I'm kind of like, eh, yeah, yeah, you know, all right, treasure, the, mana crypt, this is not. Mana crypt feels like a very different beast to me because that commander restriction is, in fact, a really big restriction. That is certainly one of the biggest ones, but we can't get sidetracked with just talking about Jewel Lotus for this whole episode. So if it's okay with you guys, I would like to rewind back to Theros. I think Theros Beyond Death, when the card Nyxbloom Ancient came out. I mean, as long as we're talking about things that make a whole bunch of mana, y'all remember the seven mana enchantment creature that makes all of your mana tripled? This one got, I think, also one of the bigger spikes amongst the community there was a lot of hubbub about this guy this one to me it was yes the effect is powerful because tripling your mana is crazy we talked about just adding three mana being great Uh, tripling your mana is absolutely ludicrous but also for me with this card it's seven mana you can do so many powerful things at seven mana that it better be making you three mana otherwise it's not (laughs) worth casting so it like to me, there's there's a phrase that like I want to coin, but somebody else has probably done it already. But just pushed green mythic registered trademark, <laughs> all all rights herein. Go back to that, and, and like this was just a very very pushed green mythic. I, I think that hits the nail on the head to a degree. Um, it, it's a crazy powerful card, but it is seven mana. And I think the the objection tended to be 
did green need another one of these like another one of those sure. giant <laughs> yes I, yeah. I top deck this card and i i'm at 10 mana and i can play it and next turn play all of the things um <laughs> But the green already has so many of those busted cards that, you know, if they're dropping at seven mana, that like, what's one more? <laughs> yeah, Matt, I really like your description there because I think that is actually a really common thing that we see in preview seasons that a lot of hubbub will happen for the green mythics, especially. So Cultivator Colossus was another one that caused a really big stir. And that's one from the Innistrad sets that would let you put lands into play and then redraw and then put lands into play and then redraw. But it all happens as one effect. And I remember people really freaking out about that one because it can do combo stuff. I think with the card Abundance, for example, and people were like, oh, this is going to the whole format. This is going to do something to the whole format. There was a lot of hype about that one. And honestly, bootlegger stash we have Ooh. to shout that out as another one the green artifact from new capenna that lets all of your lands create treasure Th that one the conversation felt to me especially like it got really twisted online is sort of what i noticed that narrative really shifted around because i saw the narrative originally begin as green why is green getting treasures this feels a little bit weird and then that eventually morphed into oh this card is overpowered and, and and both of those cards just aren't like Cultivator Colossus. Yeah. I don't see it that often. And Bootlegger Stash, it it good, but it not OP. It's just kind of a flavor thing that was questionable for a lot of people. But the conversations online can really snowball a lot of stuff. And I think the Green Mythics, Matt, as you pointed out, is a really great example of where that happens pretty frequently. We've been conditioned, I think, to see any big splashy Green Mythic and just automatically assume it's going to be too powerful. And it, a lot of the, these cards all have had roughly the same conversation centered around it just with the specifics changed cultivator colossus the first time that i saw somebody say this better be banned before it releases <laughs> i laughed and it, i audibly laughed i was sitting in a group of people with a group of friends and they oh what, what's wrong with you and they don't play magic so i couldn't tell them it's kind of weird but but the cultivator colossus specifically i i it reminds me of another card we're going to talk about later bootlegger stash i'm wary of because of all the treasures and the lack of ways to punish treasures so far so i honestly for me the jury's still out on boot, bootlegger stash but cultivator Colossus, 100 was this was not a card that was going to ruin the format at any time well i think to a degree all of these giant green mythics kind of prevent any of the other ones from becoming a problem huh. is nyx bloom ancient crazy powerful yes is cultivator colossus crazy powerful yes is bootlegger stash crazy powerful yes do you want to run that many seven drops in one deck hmm. like when you go to add the new overpushed green seven drop to your deck something has to come out and at some point it probably has to be a different seven drop so like to a degree, they they self-regulate one another because you're taking out one of those gross cards to put in the new one. They're fine and they will continue to be fine as we add in new ones every single year moving forward. I'm sure that will generate the same reaction. They're still going to kind of self-regulate by still limiting you to only one or two per deck just because otherwise you'd never cast anything. <laughs> see, see, Dana, you reminded me of the old joke about weather in Kansas. Like, if you don't like the weather in Kansas, just wait 15 minutes right, and right. it'll change. <laughs> well, if you don't like the most recent pushed green mythic, just wait 15 <laughs> minutes and you'll get a different one. <laughs> exactly. So it, it's just it, I love that that analogy right there that you created. That's awesome. Matt, how about you take us to another one? That's really great. <laughs> So one card for me that is kind of the poster child for this effect and this episode really that I hinted at earlier is going to be Doom Whisperer. So for those of you who don't remember this card, it was three black black for a 6-6 six, six demon with flying and trample and had the ability that everybody said you have to ban this card before it becomes legal because it's going to break the format. So you could pay two life to surveil two and surveil was kind of like graveyard scry where you look at the top X cards. So in this case, two, and you could put them either back on top of your library or into the graveyard. So everyone instantly jumped up, got up in arms saying this card, you're going to be able to just pay all your life and find your combo piece. And you're going to win that turn. Well, it turns out that, it, you know, <laughs> when you have a hundred cards in your deck, uh, you can't just pay 40 life because you'll die and you're not even gonna get through your whole deck. So this one for me was just peak okay folks this card is not going to break anything let's let's simmer down yeah I, I this is a card that i play because y'all know me i love to fill up the graveyard and i especially love it in my sir conrad deck where if i mill a bunch of creatures i will also make my opponents lose life too but you know 
I don't hit as many creatures as I mill and as much life as I pay because of math. <laughs> so there's a thing that helps yeah. helps this card kind of regulate, and it's math. And I like, uh, especially in black card design, I really like cards that really tempt you, the player, and you don't even realize that you're being tempted by the demon as much as you are. This asks you to do a lot of risk. Like, again, great card. And I really like it in my Conrad deck. I like to fill up the graveyard with this thing. I can pull off some very nasty stuff with it, but the rest of the deck really needs to cooperate with me. And I probably need to set the stage before this card can do anything broken. It doesn't break things all on its own is basically how I feel about it. Yeah, absolutely doesn't. Um, and, and yes, like Matt's right. You can surveil your life away down to find your combo piece, or you could spend two life and just vamp tutor it up or spend no life and just demonic tutor it up or like like <laughs> sure black has a gazillion ways to do that already that don't involve you spending five mana and all of your life to do that <laughs> yeah it's a super powerful card it's not changing the face of commander by any stretch of the imagination <laughs> yeah okay dana take us to your next example so i started talking about a card that kind of freaked me out when i first saw it so i might as well do that again <laughs> um Modern Masters 2 brought us Gaia's Will, which is a suspended version of, of Yagma's Will, one of the strongest magic cards ever printed. Um, Gaia's Will is that in green. And initially I saw that and I was like, I can't believe we're, we're doing this. Particularly, I can't believe we're giving it to green. Like Again, green doesn't need those kind of tools. Um, <laughs> and and I, I had a reaction immediately. Now, within a couple hours, I was thinking about it. I'm like, Okay, if a suspended Ancestral Recall and a suspended Black Lotus are just fine, a suspended Yagmas Will is probably not going to be a problem either. Um, so I, I let my annoyance at green get like a suspended version of one of the strongest cards of all time kind of taint my thinking a little bit, at least for a couple hours. <laughs> but that that's one that not I wasn't the only one that kind of freaked out. There were a lot of people that were like, oh my God, green's getting Yagmas Will, that's insane once you tack suspend onto the strongest cards ever printed, it seems like they become no longer the strongest cards ever printed. And this is yet another example of that. <laughs> it does seem like that. It absolutely does. And it's fun. Like that reaction, like if if you can put yourself back into your shoes, then when you were having that emotional feeling about like, ah, oh, this card, this is really frustrating me. This is activating a lot of emotionality because I care a lot about this game and I don't think they needed to make this and compare that to now, right at this moment where a guy is well showing up in 2,809 decks. Right. <laughs> Yeah, really big impact right there. This is a lesson that is, I, I think, important for us to take away from this episode. Like, we will all have those moments, but, you know. Joey, it's actually kind of funny. So when we put our notes together, getting all of the stats for the for this episode, it was in over 2,800 decks. Uh, if you look at it now, it is now under 2,800 decks because I think more people are realizing <laughs> in real time, uh, guy as well, maybe isn't as good. So it's it's actually less than the notes that we pulled together for ourselves, which is, I think it's funny to narrate the point of, this card looks on paper extremely powerful, but in execution and in real life situations, the power doesn't add up and it, it just falls short of the expectations. And that's what a lot of these cards are doing. Yeah. No, thank you for pointing that out for me, too. That's very, very funny. Um, <laughs> but I think that is ultimately the thing. Like, I don't I don't want this episode to feel like oh, we're just dunking on everyone who ever had a big reaction to an exciting looking new card, because what I'm what, what we're trying to highlight here is that we've all also had those same moments ourselves. And we have those moments because we care a whole lot about the game. So when we see something that looks risky, it's like, ah, oh, whatever. But also, like, I don't want to be an outrage merchant here. I don't like outrage merchants. That's not what we're here to do. There's a lesson to learn about this is basically the point that I'm trying to make here. Like compare those emotions to the actual reality of it. A lot of distance really helps us gain a lot of perspective on these new cards. And that's a thing that we should, that's the energy that I hope we bring into preview seasons in general. Um, so anyway, let's go talking about cards that were overhyped. Can we talk about Lord Xander, the collector, please? Because <laughs> that one was a very <laughs> recent one. <laughs> that was the Grixis seven mana Maestro's commander from the new Capenna set. And he has a whole bunch of text about cutting stuff in half. So when he enters the battlefield, target opponent discards half the cards in their hand, rounded down. Whenever he attacks, defending player mills half the library, rounded down. And when Lord Xander dies, target opponent sacrifices half the non-land permanents they control, rounded down. And you know what? There is a respectable... This guy's got 1,600 decks to his name on EDH rec, and that is wonderful and awesome. And... Uh, the effects do seem a little egregious, but I'm going to mention a thing that Matt said earlier. It's seven mana. It's seven mana. <laughs> the amount of outrage that I saw this card foster online does not seem worth it when it was seven mana. I feel like this is 
really landed in a really a good sweet spot for people. It's powerful and it can be a little bit crushing to do these effects on your opponents, but they're also going to know it. It's in your command zone and that's probably going to feel exactly like the type of game they want to play with you too. So that's my piece on Lord Xander, I guess. Well, and not to put words into Sheldon Mennery's mouth, <laughs> but his social media when this card was previewed, I think I saw five or six separate responses that he was giving to people saying this card's going to be a problem and he very very calmly was responding saying well this only hits one person at a time mm. and it's seven mana and then you have to jump through more hoops to abuse it and at that point it's just like any other card that's easily abused yeah so what's what's the problem here <laughs> and and i appreciate his his kind of temperament about it just, well let's let's play it through this is seven mana and it only hits one person compared to these other things that hit the whole table. Mm. And that it's just such a good point. Yes, it, it it's a very splashy card. There's a lot of text on it. But at the same time, it only hits one person. Yeah, the, the seven mana thing, again, to just repeat the same point, is a lot of mana in non-green. And it's a lot of mana for a commander that everyone can see sitting in your command zone and simultaneously probably don't want to deal with. <laughs> um that seems to, I think, for the most part, balance it out. Is there going to be some games where, like, uh, the person drops that jeweled lotus and has a way to to, to utilize it, um, or, or or has that dark ritual even even more effective and a bunch of mana rocks or something, and they can get it out quickly? Sure, mm. um, that's not going to happen that that frequently, and you know sometimes things do happen and you shuffle up and play again. But it's it's a commander that by announcing its presence in your command zone and costing that much mana. Even if it might not be the most fun thing to play against, it's also not breaking the format. To go on to or to build onto that too, I should I should say, Dana. So say you do get the jeweled lotus, you get the dark ritual, and you rush out Lord Xander on turn four or whatever, you've probably invested half of your hand tutoring those cards up. <laughs> right. So so yes, you you get an early Lord Xander and you get to dome one person, but then you have maybe two cards in hand. And you say, say somebody kills Lord Xander, you have to start all over again. You have to start to rebuild. And that that can be a slow process in Grix's color decks. Yeah, exactly. And honestly, Matt, you coined that pushed green mythic as a thing that constantly uh, seems to cause a, a lot of the hubbub. I'll, I'll also say the seven mana moniker is a thing that we keep noticing throughout this podcast as yeah. well. And I think that's another term for us to notice is just like really expensive card with really big, exciting or brutalized looking text or whatever. Like the seven mana tends to be a lot more relevant uh, when we actually you know take a step back and look at all of the data going out there. I think it's also important to note that some of these cards, the cards that are the most obvious during preview season that stick out to us as like, oh, this could be a problem. It feels like those aren't usually the, the thing that is the problem. And the cards that are the problem are the ones that really slip under the radar a lot more. So I think in those preview seasons, it's good for us to be a little bit more critical about the stuff, uh, not the ones that are getting the most attention. Those might not actually be the things that are the most, uh, you know, actually impressive for everything. So anyway, yeah. uh, with that out of the way with the seven manas, Matt, how about you take us to one more before we challenge some stats? What is an, an, another pick that you got for us? Well, let's let's knock the easy one out of the way. Let's let's do some low hanging fruit. The free spells that came out with the Ikoria preconstructed decks with the the commander decks, mm. those all got quite a rush. And I think it was because we had a very direct comparison from Fierce Guardianship into Force of Will, which Force of Will is one of the most powerful magic cards ever printed. <laughs> and Fierce Guardianship does a very very good impression of it. It's just a free counter spell that you can cast for no mana as long as you control. Your commander, you can negate a spell. You can hit a non-creature spell. Very, very powerful effect for sure. But also, it's, it's still just a negate that you can cast for free. The rest of the cycle really fell short. I feel like you guys might disagree. Hmm. The only one that I really see very often is Deadly Rollick, which is the, the black one that you can exile a creature for free. Hmm. But for the most part, I don't see a whole lot of these rolling around. I feel like Deflecting Swat is the one that I see next most often, the one that okay. redirects, because it yeah. uh, protects your commander. So I think I see that one more than Deadly Relic, but that's just my anecdotal, you know? Yeah, Deflecting Swat sees a lot of play. I think I have it in two decks currently. Mm. It's a fantastic card. They're all fantastic cards, which shouldn't be surprising. I mean, half the time that we get an announcement about a ban in some format, it's it's the, the explanation is... We had no idea that this spell that cost zero mana would wind up being a problem. <laughs> and, you know, once again, what, what, Wizards of the Coast seems shocked that five spells that cost zero mana might kind of freak players out a little bit. And I don't think they're particularly good for the format. 
I, I don't yeah. really like Fierce Guardianship. I don't like Deflecting Swat, despite the fact that I use them both in a couple decks. I don't think having a bunch of zero mana spells is a really a good thing, but I don't think they're breaking anything. I, I can't. I've seen them all cast multiple times. Every every one of those spells, um, including the two most powerful ones, and I've never walked away from that pod thinking that spell ruined the format or ruined the or ruined the game or ruined my evening. Even like yeah. they're they're annoying, but I don't think they're breaking anything. I, I think that's a really good point and a distinction that we need to make here before we because we're, we're we're bagging on cards a little bit. Mm-hmm. Just because we don't think it's breaking the format here doesn't mean we don't think it's a good idea to have these cards around. Yes. The, the the free spells especially. That's and and the the bad part for me at least is Wizards of the Coast employees are going to look at EDH rec. They're going to see, oh, Fierce Guardianship is being played in over 140,000 decks. Mm. That means these effects are popular. Players like this, so we want to give them more of that. When that is the opposite of what they should be doing. We <laughs> we don't want more free spells. And so yep. it becomes this thing where players are kind of forced to be playing this. And it becomes, mm-hmm. oh, well, look, they're, they're playing this. That means it must be good for the format. But it's not. It's it's not good for the format. It's just something that's just so powerful you can't ignore. Yeah. Uh, do, do I think that they should be banned? No. Do I think we should get more of them? Absolutely not. Exactly. I love that distinction. That is very worth pointing out. And here's, I don't, I don't know if like, you know, the internet does not allow for nuance. So maybe I'm about to accidentally oops myself. What are myself you talking here. about? <laughs> I know, right? Uh, but like, so the free spells here, I actually love the design space on these. Like Obscuring Haze is actually one of, like, I really like that card. I like the the types of designs that encourage you to have your commander in play. They don't want you to sandbag for too long. They want you to be proactive in the game. That is the type of thing that I really, really like. It it is just sad to me that so many of these designs protect your commander, like the Fierce Guardianship, like the Deflecting Squad, even the Flawless Maneuver, the white one that gives your stuff indestructible. It's sad to me that those cards protect your commander so it doesn't feel like you're actually risking a whole lot. Um, so that's my design criticism on these cards is that I wish that they were more like the Obscuring Haze, which is yeah. easily the least popular of these, right? It's showing up in less than 10,000 decks. It's the Fog. So that requires you to have your commander out and ha- be in a position where your opponents want to attack you. That design is brilliant and it's actually a one sided fog so there's a lot of really clever stuff going on with that so yeah i i like what this design was trying to do i wish that some of these cards instead of being like fierce guardianship three mana if you don't have your commander it probably should be closer to the force of will five mana if you don't have your commander out just like actually make sure no that you're only going to play this when your commander's in play um yeah the the design idea is cool but you know i was just going to jump in with that joey the the mana cost is, is the biggest problem i think i i've hard cast force of wills before don't feel good uh, that feels terrible feels terrible yeah but i've done it yeah i've hard cast fierce guardianship on more than one occasion too and never remotely felt bad about it like oh three mana i, I don't have a commander out but i need to stop this spell i'll stop it yeah that, you're effectively playing a cancel at that point whereas yeah, even right. if you look at like pact of negation that's five mana that you have to pay later on that's not nothing exactly yeah the the, the mana cost is where i think those went wrong i, I agree joey it's a, it's a slick design for the most part they just made it not painful enough to cast them with no commander and i think that would have fixed a lot of the problems precisely yeah okay so i hope that we were allowed to have nuance there for, for that <laughs> moment in well, well so one thing i mean dana you hinted at fixing the problems I know one thing that would absolutely fix the problems in the format, and that's if people would challenge don't, stats more. Don't you? You took my second <laughs> away from me again. <laughs> Got him. See, see, Dana talked about sandbagging cards too much. You sandbagged the transition, so I. <laughs> that is amazing. All right, yeah, let's take a quick break, and then we'll be back for challenge the stats. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Alrighty, yeah, there is so much data on EDHREC, but we don't always agree with it. Sometimes we think that cards are over or underplayed, so we love to challenge those statistics. Dana, how about you start us off this week with your challenge? My challenge is for Dragonspark Reactor, an artifact out of Kamigawa Neon Dynasty that's already found its way into 2,600 decks in EDHREC. Um, it is an artifact for one in a red, so you can only run it in a red artifact deck. And whenever it or another artifact enters the battlefield under your control, you put a charge counter on it. 
and you can spend four to sacrifice Dragonspark Reactor, and it deals damage equal to the number of charge counters on it to target player, and that much damage up to one creature. And that creature doesn't have to be a creature controlled by that player. Hmm. Um, 2600 decks for a card that's only been out at this point about eight months is pretty decent. It should be in more decks, though, especially if you are doing something that makes treasures regularly. <laughs> um, it's going to put a counter on itself when it comes into play anyway, but I I've actually made a note of the last three times I've had this out and sacrificed it. I did 14 damage, 16, and 17. So... I've taken out almost half of players' life totals and killed the scariest creature in play the three times I've used it since I've put it into my deck. Um, and that's just from making treasures in my jury deck. That's almost exclusively what puts the counters on it. If you are playing a deck that puts a lot of artifacts out, you know, every time you cast Brea, it's putting three counters on it in a Brea deck, for example. And those decks tend to be filled with artifacts. It's just something that you can put out. It's going to passively sit there. And just accidentally, three turns later, you're like, oh, I can crack this and deal 18 damage to somebody. It's a fantastic card in an artifact deck and probably should see more play than 2,600 decks. But I think it's overlooked because it was an uncommon from a set filled with a bunch of splashier cards. Dana, I love this. That card is so sick. And like, <laughs> I have seen it in your jury deck. I feel like you're underselling it. I swear I've seen like 20, 25, 30 counters get onto that thing before. Yeah, I mean, it's absolutely in that, that deck, especially disgusting. But like, there's plenty of treasure decks out there beyond that to put that many artifacts in play. And it, mm. it's going to be gross in all of them. Yeah. And that card's just like an uncommon or something, isn't it? Right? Yeah. That's like, yeah, it costs next to nothing. Yeah. This, like, I love those. Sometimes it's not just the rares that, do some of the most impressive stuff sometimes it is those uncommons don't let them slip you by that is really really cool all right i will move to my challenge now and my challenge here is actually our listener submitted challenge which comes from benji the brewer in our discord specifically wants to point out the card widespread brutality which wasn't one that i was familiar with but benji has a clever piece of tech here widespread brutality is from the war of the spark set so it's one black red red it's sorcery that says amass two then the army you amassed deals damage equal to its power to each non-army creature and amassing is that mechanic where you would create that zero zero army token if you don't have one already and put counters on it equal to the amass number the specific thing that makes this relevant actually is benji's challenge is for the commander morophon the boundless which is a changeling and since army is a creature type when you cast the spell in morophon the boundless you would actually amass morophon itself so you would put the two plus one counters on to morophon because it technically counts as an army and then you would get that effect of dealing a bunch of damage equal to morophon's power to each other thing that isn't an army so if you're playing a bunch of changelings you are going to be completely set because all of your changeling armies are completely immune to this and you're probably going to do a one-sided board wipe here this is a really really funny way to uh to do a whole lot of damage to your opponent's stuff and I'm kind of all about that. So if you're playing Morphon or playing a lot of Changelings, this might be a one-sided board wipe that is worth a look. Good shout, Benji. I really like it. All right, Matt, let's move it on to you. So my challenge this week actually is for one of my new favorite commander decks, and that's going to be Raga Draga Gorgut's Boss. Huh? So this commander, it's been so much fun to get to play around with. It's all about making mana dorks and making them big and then making them even bigger and turning things sideways. It's been a lot of fun to brew with. But looking at the EDH Rec website, I see some some cards that are sneaking up there that I don't really think fit. And one that especially seems not really a good fit, people are playing it too much, is going to be Apex Devastator. Now, hmm. Apex Devastator, eight mana for eight or excuse me, ten mana. 8 green green for a Chimera Hydra that's a 10-10 that has Cascade, 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 Cascade. That is four Cascade triggers on one creature. Now, that is an extremely powerful effect. I will not deny that four Cascade triggers on a 10-mana creature is absolutely silly. But the problem with it in Raga Draga Gorgut's boss is this deck rewards you for having creatures with mana abilities on them. So those creatures typically tend to be one, two mana. Mm. So the average deck for Raga Draga is playing over 50 cards that are three mana or less. That means of all the non-lands in your deck, you have a very, very good shot, over 50% shot of getting something that is three mana or less. I do not think that four cascade triggers to get what's probably going to be maybe six manas worth of creatures probably onto the battlefield is really worth it, especially when you're spending 10 mana to do it. I, I think 
Apex Devastator is a fantastic card, but 16% of Raga Draga decks are doing it wrong because Apex Devastator, <laughs> you're hitting Lano or Elves. You're hitting Viridian Joiner, maybe. <laughs> it, it, this It's a fantastic card, but I think a deck that's playing over 50 mana dorks that are going to be small little things that aren't really going to add up, this isn't the deck for it. So as much as I love it, I'm sorry, but Raga Draga players, take out Apex Devastator, play something else instead. Uh, Matt, I, I totally love it. I just have to uh, correct you on something real quick, uh, specifically with regards to Apex Devastator. You read the text wrong. Um, that's not how you read the four Cascades. You're actually supposed to pronounce it as Cascade, 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 Cascade. <laughs> you have to sing it to the tune of Jolene. Um, that's just it's it's just the rules. It's actually like in the the comprehensive rules. I I've met Dolly Parton once, and I think she'd be so confused by showing her a magic card that we can't <laughs> do that to her. <laughs> I, she's not. We, she's not very nerdy. She she's awesome lady. I don't think Magic Gathering's her thing. I I'm having a moment here. We need to put the rest of the podcast aside. I'm sorry. How have you not told me about this in all the years we've known each other? <laughs> we'll, we'll take it. We'll take it offline. Don't worry. But she she is a very rad lady. One of yes. Them. I. Okay, so I'm just going to be distracted uh, throughout the rest of this podcast as we move back into our main topic. Um, Dana, while I have a conniption and Matt gloats for a little while, do you want to tell us about another card that the community overreacted to? Matt, I'm so jealous of you right now. I'm going to kind of talk about two cards here. I will talk about um, one that the community perhaps overreacted to and the card that was the true villain. villain. Um, opposition agent would be the one that generated all of the attention. Um when it was released in, in the Modern Master set, well, while Hullbreacher kind of sat there quietly off to the side, <laughs> uh, plan, planning all kinds of mischief. And Opposition Agent, still legal, um, and yeah, it's showing up in a lot of decks, about 75,000 that sees a serious amount of play. Um, it's just not really a problem. It, it's It's a card that stops people from tutoring but for the most part, people aren't using it at power levels except for ones where people are doing an extreme amount of tutoring. Hmm. Um, and, and if you don't want Opposition Agent to shut off your deck, maybe don't run a bunch of tutors. I mean, it's, <laughs> it, it's, a, it's a strong card that's only as strong as the pod you're playing in. Hmm. That, yeah, that is absolutely what my mentality about Opposition Agent is. Um, if you're in those higher power pods, you're going to be better equipped to deal with problem creatures that are going to stop you from doing things. And if you're at lower power pods, you're at more casual pods, chances are you're not tutoring for a lot of things. You're not trying to find combo pieces. You, you, it might snag your evolving wilds or, you know, if you have a fetch land, whatever it is, or a cultivate. Like that is probably the most common thing that I've seen at snatches. I'm going to cast cultivate and somebody gets it. Like they get two lands. Okay. But at the same time, it's only going it, to, it's a perfect scaling card. It's fine for the lower power, but then, at, you know, as you get higher power in your decks, that's when it's going to start doing more. And the people that play those higher power decks, like I said, they're they're just equipped to handle those types of threats and be able to answer them better. And so that's why I think this card is, it's pretty well self-regulated itself. Yes, that that is the word for me there, is that this feels like the type of card that like probably isn't going to show up a whole lot in the, the, the decks of the folks who are pursuing that different type. Like, it, it seems to me like a card where I've considered it. I think I even had a rogue deck at one point and this is itself a rogue. So I considered it and just like, I don't think I would be in the mood for this one. I don't think that this would uh, bring the feeling that I want in the game. And that is especially an attitude that at least I feel the three of us have noticed a lot over the course of our own deck building journeys and a lot of the uh, folks that we've met at events as well, for example, where there's a priority on what is the experience going to be for the whole table. So while I certainly understand that Opposition Agent is a card that doesn't produce a, a type of effect that I particularly um, enjoy, I don't look at that effect and I'm just like, ooh, exciting. I really want to do this to people. Um, I'm kind of like, eh, this could possibly cause a little bit of enmity or, or bad feelings or whatever. It it remains weird to me that this was the one that drew all of the ire when Hull Breacher was sitting right there doing the things yeah. like Dana pointed <laughs> out. Like that was the card that was just, I, it, it is astonishing that Jeweled Lotus and Opposition Agent were the things that dominated the conversations online while Hull Breacher was just like tee hee hee, just like being that that little, the, the giggling dog of the, the mutt or I I don't remember the name of the giggling dog, but you, you snidely something and, and you know what I'm talking about. But yeah, Holbreacher was the actual culprit of that. And I feel like the that, that's one of those things that flew into the radar. The Holbreacher stuff didn't really start taking off until people actually got the chance to play with those things. So like Opposition Agent, before anyone had played it, people were like, ah, oh, this is the problem. But once people actually started playing with those cards, 
oppo agent kind of regulated its own locations a little bit while Holbreacher was just like you can't hold me back i'm going to ruin a lot of stuff actually <laughs> well and it's even more bizarre considering we'd already seen leovold banned for doing the same right. things Holbreacher does for the most part not only had we already seen Leovold be banned, Watsi had already seen Leovold be banned. Right. And they <laughs> well, still yes. decided to whole breacher the format for a little while. So, like, I don't even know if, like, it's just like, I, I excuse every single thing about the community for that one. Watsi, what the, what were you thinking? You've done that dance already before and it did not work. <laughs> like, so, anyway. The funny part about that is, too, is Leovold was Sultai Colors. And, yes, you can put that in the command zone. But Watsi thought, you know what? We'll take it out of the command zone. But we'll make it monocolor to go in more decks. That's what's going to make it popular. Yes. Right. And like this is a, a quick, completely different aside. But like that is a thing that I've noticed about the Dominaria previews that are that are like, I guess they've just finished at the current time that we're recording this episode. Like there are a lot of cards in the Dominaria set where I'm like, ooh, this is really interesting. But it's got those kicker costs. Like Dominaria is secretly a three color set for commander players because of all of those multicolored kicker costs. And I think that is regulating a lot of stuff in that set. Mm -hmm. And I really, really appreciate that. So Matt, that's a really good thing to bring up about the color identities of these cards. Yeah, it, it turns out accidentally putting those color limits in, on the the identity of those, color, of those cards is going to save a lot of headaches. Because there are a couple cards that I was a little head scratchy about, but then, oh, it can only go in those certain color decks, it, mm. I think it's going to save a lot of people a lot of headaches. I like that. I like that. All right, I'll move on to another example of mine, if that's okay, because um, we all know that the card Biorhythm is currently banned, that thing that makes everyone's life total equal to the number of creatures that they have. But Matt, uh, here's a pushed green mythic again for you. Remember the hubbub about Shaman of Forgotten Ways back in the day? Oh. The card that has the activated ability of a biorhythm. If you have enough creatures uh, with a certain power threshold, you can use this creature's activated ability to biorhythm the table. This was another card that I will actually admit, I was very wary about it when when, it, when I saw it released. I'm just like, but if biorhythm's banned, isn't this kind of along that same thing? Like. Ugh, this this is a little scary, right? And it turns out, no, summoning sickness does a lot to keep things in check. Not even the summoning sickness. Like there, there's just so many costs built into this card. <laughs> I I had just started my commander journey when this card was released. And I, I kind of just giggled. I was like, why, why? This this card isn't even good. And I had like I had a Myel deck back then, and I was like, this is perfect. But nobody's going to die from it. <laughs> I, this is an example of a card where I think the reaction would have been much more muted had it been named Magus of the Biorhythm. <laughs> like at that point, we had already have a pretty established history of Magus of the Broken Reserve List card not really being a problem in the format. And had this been named Magus of Biorhythm, I'm like, yeah, it's just one more of those Maguses. It really isn't an issue. Mm. But because it wasn't named that, I think everyone kind of freaked out. That's so funny. Wow, Dana, that's absolutely true. Because I do have this like uh, this mentality of just like, oh, Magus of the something? Eh, <laughs> it's probably eh. That is a mentality that I absolutely need to pay attention to for, for other uh, cards like that. Wow, that is a really funny observation. The names of these cards carry a lot of weight. Well, I mean, it's a little bit like the guy is Will thing. Like, I, I kind of overreacted because of the color shift. Had it been like a black card just like... Um, you know, Wheel of Fate was, I, I would have, you know, maybe instinctively remembered that it wasn't as big of a deal. It wasn't a Wheel of Fortune. Wheel of Fate wasn't. The cover shift thing threw me off. I think this is an example where the name threw people off. Well, I, I have one, guys. And it's maybe not the, the name threw people off, but it saw the same kind of treatment that other combos and other commanders had seen. So I remember during Strixhaven, the, the Professor Onyx Magecraft combo engines that people kind of Flipped out a little bit about. So <laughs> uh, back in Strixhaven, we got Professor Onyx, who was the new Liliana Planeswalker, six mana, and it had a Magecraft ability that said whenever you cast or copy an instant or sorcery, each opponent loses two life and you gain two life. So turns out there is a two-card combo with Professor Onyx called with the card Chain of Smog, which target player discards two cards from their hand, and then that player may copy the spell if they, and if they do, choose a new target for the copy. So... This lets you target yourself and you discard two cards and then you just make a copy and you copy it, copy, copy, copy it. <laughs> and Professor Onyx's Magecraft ability triggers a bunch of times and you can basically just drain the table. This reminds me a lot of what happened with Prime Speaker Vanifar when that card was originally previewed. Mm. People thought it was going to be the most popular thing, the most powerful thing. There's no way anybody will be doing anything but this. And then once people finally got the cards in their hands... People did it a few times, and I think they kind of realized, well, this thing is basically the same thing every single time. There's no variance. It's not fun because it's the same play patterns time and time again. 
And to, I'm kind of actually glad that people realized, oh my gosh, a two card combo and mono black that can tutor for these things very easily wasn't really a super fun thing to do. It, people absolutely wanted the card band, which kind of left a head scratcher for me. But thankfully, people kind of got bored with that combo and have moved on to, to bigger and better things. Yes, that right there is so important. Like this, I think, might be one of the biggest lessons for me to take away from observing all of these things here is that even, you know, what, even if some of these cards are, in fact, absurdly broken, shouldn't have been printed type of cards. There's also like, again, I guess it might be that self-regulating thing, but like the self-regulating isn't even amongst the playgroups. It's also amongst your own enjoyment. Like, yeah, you know what? That wasn't actually as much fun as I thought it was. I got bored of this pretty quickly. That is itself a reason not to, like, we don't want to do more bands just because card powerful. We want to not do bands when at all possible. We don't want to swell that ban list. And the fact that cards sometimes that are this efficient get that boring after you pull them off a couple of times yeah, yeah. I don't know. The first time that I pulled the Micaeus and Triskelion combo together, I was like, yeah, I did it. I never want to do that again. And I feel the same way about this thing here. So, Matt, that's a great observation and a really good thing that regulates not just playgroups, but players. Well, and, and I think players also forget that, um, you know, a planeswalker that you have one turn to swing at and remove before it can do its thing again in other formats isn't the same thing as a planeswalker where three people have a chance to swing at, <laughs> in addition to being a format where people tend to run big beating creatures with trample and big flyers and, in you know, dragons and spells like Beast Within that don't see play elsewhere that can hit any target. Planeswalkers are just inherently weaker in Commander than they are elsewhere. That's why, you know, Jace, the Mind Sculptor, the the scourge of modern for, for many, many years, just wasn't a player in EDH. That's why Oko, Thief of Crowns, the destroyer of standard <laughs> is just a planeswalker in EDH. Like it's it's a different format, and even if there may be Professor Onyx combos, how powerful they are in our format isn't the same as they are elsewhere. Yeah, well said, well said. Okay, Dana, you have any other examples for us as we're coming to the end of the show? What else is the thing that sticks out in your memory about cards that were like very explosive on first arrival, but you know they haven't maybe shaped up to be as much of an issue? What what else sticks out? Um, the one that sticks out at me as being really divisive, I guess, in everyone's response, I think was Mox Amber. Oh, um, yeah. It, it was either, it was an, either an unplayable piece of garbage or it was <laughs> going to break the format wide open. Um, and I, I believe when we were talking about it on a review show, we kind of like, it's neither of those two things. It's a useful <laughs> mana rock in some decks. That's going to be very helpful. And that's what it is. And that's what it's been. It's, it's a very strong card in decks that want to run it. If you're playing at that power level again, like Jeweled Lotus, it's a really, really solid card. I'm not going to say it isn't. Um, when's the last time you saw a Mox Amber and when's the last time you saw it change the game? <laughs> um, I have it I have it in a deck and it doesn't change the game. Like it's a good card, but it's not breaking anything open and definitely isn't ban worthy. It's also not a piece of garbage. <laughs> you know, it's <laughs> the, the, the internet reaction of it being the worst or the best. This is a perfect example of how everyone picked one of those two extremes and ran with it. And that's the zero mana legendary artifact. Tap, add one mana of any color among legendary creatures and planeswalkers that you control. Yeah. I mean, I can tell you the last time I saw it, I have this in my feather deck. And that's it because I don't want it anywhere else. I don't, uh, yeah, when I think about, hmm, would my deck be better with a Mox Amber? No, no, it, it, it wouldn't. Um, feather is like an exception. And even then I'm kind of like eh, a little bit teeter-totter on, on that one. So um, yeah, it's it's a good card. It's not a broken mana rock like so many of the other things that say mocks on them. Yeah, I have it in a deck where because it's legendary, it's a zero drop mana rock that draws me a card off of Reki. Oh, sure. Um, and, and almost always is activated and it's still just really good. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's that's it. It's still not backbreaking. I, I love that. That's a great observation. All right, Matt, uh, I've, I wanna <laughs> go, on, go on a journey with me, Matt. Okay. Do you, do you remember the card Void Mirror and all oh of the- Oh my goodness. <laughs> That's this, the reaction one, I wanted. This one right is there. a genuine eye roll for me. This is oof. This is so, Doom Whisper level of silly. <laughs> Void mirror, two mana artifact. Whenever a player casts a spell, if no colored mana was spent to cast it, counter that spell. Um to, to let people know, spoiler alert, where this card actually wound up seeing play in EDH, uh, it's only showing up in it's like less than 2,000 decks. Um, so it's not doing 
a whole lot of stuff. Um, but yeah, Matt, um, I know you had a lot of emotions when the world exploded about this oh. card, so I don't need to make you revisit <laughs> I, those. I, I did indeed, yes. I mean, so it turns out that when a card can be countered by playing basic lands, it's not that good. <laughs> Um, and okay, correct, correction. It's not that it's not good. Um, it only counters people that are named Ashlyn Rose. And we love <laughs> Ashlyn. Ashlyn's a great friend of the podcast. Um, but also people were, were so worried about the seven people who play colorless decks. And and I feel for them, but also you, you don't have to play like just say, oh, I have that card in my deck. Let me take it out real quick. Okay, let's go. <laughs> I know that you're being facetious. Like, there are 4,000 Kozilek the Great Distortion decks out there and 1,500 Traxos decks, and the numbers really start to fall off after that. Like, the number mm -hmm. of colorless decks out there is relevant, but certainly not enough to make Void Mirror relevant. Does that make sense? <laughs> like, yeah, this, like, this is a, this is not a card I've ever seen ever since it came out. That, I don't know. That's no. where I'm at with it. But the internet, had I believed the internet uh, and the outrage merchants at the time, I would have been led to believe that this card is going to oops the whole format. And I just think that's very funny. Well, and, and I guess it's worth noting beyond just the colorless spells, I guess, whenever a player casts a spell, if no colored mana was meant to cast it, counter it. So it's going to, it's going to counter things that you're able to cast for free. Right. Um, yeah. Who cares? If <laughs> I'm, I don't care if you're free, if, if the, if the cheating thing you're trying to do gets stopped. <laughs> oh well, I'll be okay with that. So like, that's the other thing about it. Yes, it occasionally screws over colorless decks, and that's unfortunate. But the other use is stopping people from doing things that you should be glad they're stopped from doing. And if you are stopped from doing those things, you should understand why people are trying to stop you from doing them. <laughs> right. Yeah, that that's the big thing was people it stopped people from cheating things into play and doing busted things. And they just wanted to keep doing busted things. That, and, and so, that Donald Glover of him going good is what <laughs> yeah. pops to mind right there. Th this, this one was very much a misattribution of, of the blame there. So, mm, Yeah, I'm into that. I'm into that. <laughs> yeah. And, and, you know, actually kind of related to this, I think it's also probably fair to bring up uh, the cards Dranith Magistrate as well as the card Wash Away. So Dranith Magistrate was that two mana uh, human wizard one three. Your opponents can't cast spells from anywhere other than their hands. And there was a lot of reaction to that one because people then, you know, couldn't cast their commanders from the command zone. And I saw a lot of discourse about um, Wash Away as well, which is the one mana instant from, it was one of those cleave spells from the Innistrad sets. So you could pay the cleave cost for it to just be a regular counter spell, but you could pay one mana to counter target spell that wasn't cast from its owner's hand. So a lot of attention got onto these cards, especially because they would prevent commanders from being cast. And I think that this has sort of a, a similar energy about them. Like, for me, I'm just kind of like, this isn't usually the energy I tend to encounter in most of the games that I play. Um, so these haven't really, you know, pinged on my radar as just like, oh, got to get rid of them or whatever. But there was certainly a lot of magic, the discoursing, not just magic, the gathering when these cards were previewed, you know? So I don't know, Dana, do you have memories of these ones as well? Or I, I do. I think this is an example of a situation where people sometimes confuse not liking a card with thinking it shouldn't be in the format. Hmm. And I don't particularly like any of these cards. I definitely am not a fan of Dranith Magistrate. I, I, I think I've seen it cast three or four times this calendar year, and it's always been a miserable experience. Hmm. Um, and it's it, not only is it not a fun experience for the most part, it's always done by somebody who's like, well, I'm trying to stop this person from from doing whatever. And like, well, you stop all of us from doing whatever. <laughs> like, uh, like you, you've, you know, there are situations where it does more damage than it does good. But that doesn't make it a bannable threat or a problem. And it's also the kind of thing that I think people have learned from, like, oh, I ran it in my deck and I caused this many problems and so I've stopped running it. Um, and the same is true of, of Wash Away to a degree. Yeah, it's, a, I guess, a slightly more efficient counterspell if you're stopping someone's commander, but it's a cancel otherwise. <laughs> and cancel's not a very good card. And if people are willing to run a counterspell just to stop you from playing your super powerful commander, well, that's the price you pay for running a super powerful commander. <laughs> like if you don't like that, don't have herbs on your command zone. <laughs> I, I've never, I've seen washout cast in multiple games and it's never targeted me because <laughs> I'm not playing <laughs> commanders for the most part that anyone cares about countering. So like <laughs> if you're being targeted with washout or wash away and maybe there's a reason for that. 
Uh, th- that is the weirdest flex I've ever heard. I know. I play commanders. <laughs> I, I play commanders, and nobody cares about countering. Right. I mean, they won't counter your spells if y- your spells aren't worth countering. <laughs> your spells aren't worth countering. Yeah. Another meme thrown out there. <laughs> oh my god, I, I I adore that. Yeah, I'm I'm with you on that that energy for the magistrate. I'm not happy about it. I'm not going to enjoy this thing, but I'm also not like yes. Oh, that means we have like uh, like I don't know. It's just I can't I can't maintain grumpiness about this card. And there's a really uh, wonderful quote here that I, I don't know which of you put it into the show notes, but this is a really important thing for us to, to touch on here. Um, a, a quote from Sheldon Mennery, actually, about when it comes to evaluating cards for banning, it's not just what a card does, its power, but it's what uh, about what a card does to the broader format, its impact. And that is a really big lesson to take away from a lot of these cards that we've been looking over all of these things when, when you know, in, in a, a specific game, that could certainly create a certain experience, but it's a bird's eye view is the thing that we have to look at all of these cards with is the the energy I want to put out into the world right now. Yeah, but both of you have talked about cards that you were very side eye of when they were first previewed. And Dranith Magistrate is totally my card. I yeah. This might be the card that I gave the most credit to outcries with uh, or, or about, I should say, when it was first previewed. I This is the type of effect that absolutely is ban worthy. Uh, thankfully, though, it is, it's been regulated out of most playgroups because it is not a very fun card. And so not a lot of people want to play it despite how powerful it is. Uh, mm-hmm. I, the, the social issue has been relieved because people are like, no, get, get out of here with that trash. You, you did it once. <laughs> I don't want to do it again. Uh, I'm very thankful for that. Beyond the social issue too, it's a creature. Yes. And it's a relatively fragile creature as well. So it's like, that's something that almost every deck can respond to and deal with and it's also for the most part not it itself isn't preventing you from doing those things there's some kind of problem sometimes that that like a card goes into play and creates an issue and it prevents you from dealing with it somehow Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. this isn't a card that 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 protects itself from you responding to it basically Mm -hmm. um you still can just spend one white mana and cast our supply shares and that problem goes away now occasionally are you going to have a situation where like no one at the table has a creature removal option? Yeah, that's going to happen. But like it, that's much less frequent than you would see with something like if it was an artifact or enchantment or something where multiple colors just can't deal with it. This is relatively fragile and relatively easy to respond to. Uh, I see that we have entered into the just play more removal part of yeah, the Yeah, right. Yes. <laughs> yeah, Dana. Jeez. <laughs> no, and I, I, I don't love that. I don't love that argument, but like, oh, it's, I think it does apply to a degree here. It, it like, it, it is a good lesson, but it is a bad argument. I think, like, mm-hmm. when a card like gets banned, for yeah. example, and people are like, oh, why are people being salty? You should just play more removal. That has already been taken into account. Like, you were about eight steps yeah. behind in the conversation if that is the only thing that you bring to bring forward when a card gets banned. It's just like, yeah, if you think that you're going to tell Scott Larrabee and Gavin Duggan <laughs> and Sheldon Mentor and the rules committee and the CAG members too. Mm. If you're going to, if you think you're going to drop knowledge bombs about game theory <laughs> to them, no right you're not (laughs) yeah no like there is certainly a player responsibility with you know make there's if if you didn't pack a bunch of removal then yeah you probably don't have a whole lot of right to be salty but at the same time like we as players have responsibility to everyone else at the table to make sure that we're not playing stuff that they don't enjoy edh is a social format so that's why i don't want to play drain of magistrate that's why i even took bolus of citadel out of my decks that was a card that i was a little worried about i'm like ooh, i will be the only one doing things for a while i might solitaire for too long but you know, yeah. I kind of stopped having fun with it because other people stopped having fun with me. Yeah. Well, and, and I we had a game on stream on twitch.tv slash EDHRECcast for those of you who haven't heard. Uh, <laughs> but we had a game on stream where our guest wanted to play their Ayara deck, which is all about sacrificing creatures and doing all those things. And I was like, okay, I want I want I want to try out my Yasharn deck because you know it's my Panharmonicon deck, and I put it out there, and then I realized, oh wait, they're playing they want to play an aristocrat's deck, <laughs> and I'm putting an effect in the command zone because Turns out Yasharn has a second ability that says players can't sacrifice permanents to, to, to do abilities. I was like, oh, that's not going to be very fun for everybody. I'm just going to pick a different deck. Yeah. And that that's the social format right there. Mm-hmm. And like I, I'm not trying to brag on myself, but like I don't see that happening a whole lot at some tables or some some areas. And if that's the case, then have those conversations. It's okay to do those. Yeah. That those are absolutely big conversations worth having. I just my my feeling about a lot of this is just that like I don't know when when the outrage happens online or something that's a thing that I want to withdraw from and take you know a, a moment about because distance shows us a lot. We can see a lot about where these cards actually wound up landing. You know, um, 
Do you guys think that we have it in ourselves to have one more conversation about Arcane Signet? Yeah. Or do we not even want to touch that one? Because I know that's probably one of the biggest reactions we ever saw online. But we can also just say no. Joey's, Joey's trying to start a brawl over here. That's what he's trying to do. Same <laughs> <laughs> uh, One and done. Matt's taking care of it. We're good. I think that says uh, everything that we need to say. So yeah, I'm. <laughs> let's just end on on that note. This is. I, I think this is a really fun, positive episode. Like this, I, we don't mean this to be like, oh, people are ridiculous for having big emotional reactions to any of these. Because we ourselves have done it. Exactly. Yeah, we have had. I still too. hate Turgrid for what it's worth. So. <laughs> <laughs> You know what? Yeah, yeah. And there are plenty of cards that we didn't mention. So listeners, we would love for you to uh, let us know about the cards that you think the reactions might have been justified to or any other cards where you saw a lot of overhype about them. Let us know in the comments. Uh, leave us a review. Tell us about it on there as well on, on any podcast app that you're following on. But uh, yeah, for now, uh, guys, thanks for joining me on this tour through magic history about the community. This was a whole lot of fun. And if listeners want to get in touch with us, where is it that they can find us all? Matt? So you can find me on the Twitters at Mathemus55, that's M-A-T-H-I-M-U-S-5-5. And don't forget, Wednesday evenings, we are streaming over at twitch.tv slash EDHRecast. We have guests on every single week. It is a blast no matter what. So make sure you tune in for all the good times there. And Dana. You can find me on Twitter at Dana Roach. You can hear me on my other podcast, CMDR Central. I'm writing for EDH Rec and Commander's Herald. And you can find all of us together at patreon.com slash EDHRecast. And I'm Joey Schultz. You can find me at Joseph M. Schultz on Twitter, and you can find the cast at EDHRecast on Facebook and on Twitter. Plus, if you've got a question for us, you can contact us at EDHRecast at gmail.com. Our thanks go out once again to Chase for assisting me with the post-production of the show. You can find them online at Mana Curves. Listeners, we'll be back at you next week with more data and insights. But until then, remember, EDH wreck your deck before you wreck your deck. <laughs> <laughs>